This episode of Appleosophy Weekly is sponsored by Podcorn. With Podcorn, podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose from real sponsorship opportunities right on the platform. That means they set their own rates and collaborate with brands directly. No exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there every step of the way to ensure that your brand stays protected and that you're compensated for the work that you do. The mission of the Podcorn Marketplace is to provide podcasters with transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they want to monetize their content. Appleosophy Weekly uses Podcorn to quickly and professionally connect with sponsors who recognize the nature of our content. We at Appleosophy have had an excellent experience using Podcorn because it connects us with sponsored content that we know our viewers will actually enjoy. Whether you're new to the podcast scene or you're a seasoned influencer, Podcorn is a one-stop shop solution for getting in touch with relevant and engaging sponsors. We'd like to sincerely thank Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. Click the link in the show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Appleosophy Weekly iPhone 12 mini is seeing fun size sales. Intel is picking and choosing its benchmarks in the war against Apple. macOS developers are finally getting what they asked for. And now, amid antitrust concerns, iPhone users can finally access Spotify with Siri instead of Apple Music. All that and more on this week's episode. I am in fact not a cat and prepared to go forward, but let's first check in with special guest, Mr. George Elias. George, how are you doing? Oh my goodness, Brahm. I am honored to be back on the podcast. It was such an amazing and fun time the first time, and I can only imagine what we're how deep we're going to be going in on these stories this week. We're thrilled to have you back on board. You know, for those those viewers that didn't see the last episode, you want to tell us a little bit about what you do, what you're about? Sure, sure, sure. I am a content creator in Southern California, like everyone else and their dog. But uh, I like to take, I, exactly, I like to consider myself one of the more technical and uh, higher end. I push my creative skills. I, I push the creative skills as hard as I can. I'm always learning new things and I'm always uh, looking to take my work to the next level. Brom actually has witnessed my 2 a.m. text messages of me figuring out new techniques. So I think it's kind of obvious where my creative passions lie and that is in this industry. And obviously in a creative industry, basically if you're not using Final Cut to edit, you're stuck in a you're stuck in a time warp between 2000 and 2010. So I don't know what you're doing if you're not using Final Cut. There, I said it. You know, I've been there for your 2 a.m. Uh, rants as far as I.O. goes about how people they keep taking ports out of the MacBook Pro and you're upset and you're going to whine about it because you have to use different dongles. Yeah. You know, I don't remember you actually figuring out things, George. I don't remember any troubleshooting. I just remember complaints. Uh we'll we'll get into we'll get into some of the troubleshooting we'll get into some of the troubleshooting because there was a lot of troubleshooting and a lot of complaining along too no we kid each other but george so you do you do it's video editing cinematography photography all that mm-hmm. stuff yes absolutely right? and so when you're out on the field what do you carry with you as far as products go uh are we talking apple products or are we talking everything i mean it would take a while to go through everything but what's what's what are the key components of your workflow i know you have tons of equipment as far as cameras and mics and everything go but 
Maybe let's maybe let's for the sake of the show let's zero in on the Apple products. What do you carry with you day to day? The only two things that I carry with me day to day are my MacBook Pro from 2012 pre Retina. I know, I know, I have to upgrade soon, uh, and then an iPhone 8 Plus. Brom knows my philosophy of upgrading only when you absolutely need to. So this phone is probably going to last me another year, maybe two, considering how good the iOS support is on it. But those are literally the only two things, Apple products, that I need. And the beauty of it is that it actually gets the work done for me. I can cut dailies, which is like your quick and short edits for the day on my MacBook Pro. Uh, I'm learning how to use LumaFusion on the iPhone. I... I am beyond impressed with the studio and how they were able to get it to basically be a functional piece of software for professionals. So I might be transitioning more of my daily editing to the phone or potentially an iPad once the A14 makes it into the iPad Pro. And uh, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I don't know what else. I don't bring an iMac with me. I don't bring a Mac Pro with me. I'm not MKBHD. I don't fly. MKBHD style. Yeah, I don't, I don't fly with a <laughs> Mac Pro or an iMac Pro. So that's I just keep it light. <laughs> well, you're not shooting red raw, are you? I'm shooting black magic <laughs> raw, which is almost as difficult. I won't get into the technicalities of that, but so let's tell us a little bit about was when you used a Mac for the first time. Was it like an aha moment? Was it like, oh my god, I, I I've been doing things a certain way, and now that I do it this way on the Mac, this is just like life changing? Or was it just kind of this thing that you eased into? It was a little bit of both. So I made a joke on the first uh, episode that I was on about an iMac G5 that we have that's still running, by the way. Um, that G5 was a gift from my mom to my dad back in 2004, 2005, something like that. And I just grew up with it on – I remember Tiger explicitly. I remember Leopard. Um, I think those are the only two operating systems that were able to run concurrently between Intel and PowerPC. And I remember those explicitly and using it. But then there went a period of time where we didn't have a computer in the house. And then my parents gifted me a laptop. It wasn't it wasn't a terribly expensive laptop, but it was a laptop. Are you willing to guess what kind of operating system was it? I'm willing to say that it was something Unix-based, perhaps? Actually, no. <laughs> it was the long and everyone's favorite Windows Vista. Oh, me too. So we're twins. My first computer was a Windows Vista. Oh, yeah, that, that, that computer, I am surprised it still functions after all the hell that it's been through. Um, yeah, no, it was a Windows Vista machine. Uh, used it until from 2009 to 2011, and 2012 was when I got into high school, so my um, parents saw fit again at the time to gift me a MacBook Pro 13-inch, which I have dubbed the name Friday, which is one of Iron Man's operating systems. Uh, and then that laptop, that laptop right there, has edited and cut most of my beginning work all the way from 2011 to 2017. I just, it, I, for a second, I had to take a second to realize that, that that machine was a workhorse for six years. Some of my biggest projects I've actually edited on that laptop. So it really goes to show that just because you have underpowered hardware doesn't mean you can't make amazing things. That's very true. And, you know, I can imagine moving, transitioning over to the, the to the MacBook Pro is probably like a glass of ice water to someone who was living in hell, you know, coming from Vista. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, basically. Um, it was, yeah, I think that's the perfect way to describe it, actually. Oh, oh wow. A famous Steve Jobs quote. Mac, moving Transitioning to Mac OS yeah. is like giving a glass of ice water to someone in hell. <laughs> Yeah, no, that I could I could definitely attest to that. I could definitely attest to that. And then going from a MacBook Pro dual core to an iMac in 2017 was just a huge step forward for productivity and for creativity because then I can actually see my work. I don't have to huddle around a 1280 uh 1280 by 720 screen. And yeah, that's been my workhorse ever since, just an iMac from 2017. Still chugs, it's still going, I love it, even though the fans ramp up and it's about to take off and become a space heater, but I absolutely, you know, That's I what I'm asking machine. you, man. When you transition to Apple Silicon, what are you going to do for a space heater, for a cooktop? You know, what are you going to do, man? You need to buy all these different things now. Uh, see, here's, I'm actually going to be, I'm going to be configuring everything into a server farm, so my room will always stay Look at that, nice and warm. toasty. <laughs> George yes, is hanging on to his space heater. You know, one of the things, George, you know, <laughs> that I've been telling you for quite a long time, the one thing that's missing in your arsenal is an Apple Watch. Yeah. Um, it's really funny because I am an avid swimmer and I love swimming. So when they came out with like the waterproofing and the uh, underwater features, I, I was tempted. I'm not going to lie. I was tempted to pick one up. I just... I just can't, I just, it, tech for me is very interesting. So my philosophy on tech is it is a tool and it is something I'm going to use until it breaks. And if it breaks, I'm going to fix it. And the Apple Watch, I'm not knocking it. I know it's incredible. I know it has a lot of amazing features that make it a useful tool for health. I just, I just don't know if I can swing it right now. I, I, I don't know. Here, here, and here's the thing, and I'm going to go into the story right now because this story just really embodies why I think everyone, if you can afford it, should should get in on the Apple Watch. I actually tweeted about this yesterday. I said, stories like this are heartwarming. You begin to realize the limitless value of Apple Watch as an investment in your health. Not only will it help you live a healthier and more active day, but it's the one consumer product that may one day save your life. And so for this story, we're going to rewind back to September 2020, and we're going to zero in on Lori and Bob March. Now, for their 17th wedding anniversary, Lori gifted Bob uh, an Apple Watch Series 6. So he pre she presents him with the watch. She says, this is an investment in your health, which means it's an investment in our future. And that quote was really important to Bob because Bob's one of those guys, you know, kind of frugal, doesn't want to spend on himself. And here's what happens. Little background for you. Bob's a former college-level athlete. He used to run half marathons, all this stuff. Upon slapping this Apple Watch on his wrist, he realizes, hey, I'm just, I'm just sitting here. I'm relaxed, and my heart rate is at 127 BPM, beats per minute, right? But he brushes this off. He says, it's a fluke, whatever. I thought this is nuts. You know, look at this silly watch. Later that day, Bob tells Lori, he tells his wife, look at these erratic readings I'm getting. You know, I, I, this, this is equivalent to something that I would get when I'm just starting a run or cooling down from a run. You know, I never get, you know, 127 beats per minute just sitting there. This is weird. So Lori kind of panics, right? And she, she schedules an appointment for him for a, a, a physical. 
So he goes to the doctor and he's going, you know, on his way to the doctor, he's thinking, you know, it's probably going to be one of those things, you know, your blood pressure is too high. You got to cut back on sodium or something, something of that nature. So he's not really thinking this is all too crazy. 10 minutes after his physical doctor marches in and says, we need to get you an ambulance. We need to, you need to head over to the ER. Doctors found an arrhythmia in Bob's heart. So this is causing his heart to work overtime. They said it had been, quote, like he was running a constant marathon for the past few weeks, and if left unchecked, the results could have been devastating. So long story short, he has to go into surgery and all this stuff, but this quote from Lori really says it all. She says, quote, we truly believe that it saved his life. It doesn't get any bigger than that, end quote. You know, so Apple Watch is one of these really indispensable things, and that's why I won't shut up about it, George. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like I won't shut up about the headphone jack. But then again, a headphone jack won't save your life. Yeah, I, I can imagine when that would come into play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe instead of hanging on by a thread, I'm hanging on by a headphone jack. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, wow. I actually haven't heard of this story. I've heard of a lot of stories about people losing weight on this one, but I've never, I've never heard of uh, them catching an arrhythmia with the with the heart rate monitor. That's something else. Yeah, and the important thing about this story is this is just one story, but this is something that happens so often with the Apple Watch. You know, you see this kind of thing all the time. It's saving someone's life or it's improving their life for the better just by helping them to live a more active day. You know. The it sends it's it sends chills down my spine when I read stories like this because this is a consumer product where you know at first glance you may just think okay you know it's not for everybody it's kind of silly just you know apps on my wrist not everybody needs that but then you start to realize that this product could save your life one day I mean that's that's life changing and Apple's doubling down on these health features every year in fact they're running with a new slogan this year. Uh, it says the future of health is on your wrist. You know, they're, they're making these groundbreaking advancements by putting ECG, a single lead ECG on your wrist, blood oxygen, low and high heart rate notifications, cardio fitness, you know, all this stuff that the Heart Association recommends keeping track of. You can do it without even having to think about it. And you can glance at all this information on your phone whenever you'd like. And it, it's really, it really is, we're witnessing this democratization of health. Because you can zero in on all this data, and if you're concerned about something, you actually have something to show your doctor when you go in. You're not, oh, I'm just feeling pain here, and I don't know what's going on. You could say, hey, you know, I felt a pain in my chest, and I actually took an ECG when that happened. I noticed something here. Is that something I should be concerned about? And you can actually show your doctor the ECG. And even remotely during the pandemic, you can export that ECG as a PDF and email it to your doctor for virtual uh, appointments and meetings and stuff. So, you know, th this stuff is, to me, nothing short of groundbreaking. And, and when I tell people this, I, I think Apple Watch is, is, is so special and so priceless. You, you should save up for an Apple Watch before you save up for an iPad, before you save up for your next iPhone, your Mac. I think it's one of those things that, that has even eclipsed the iPhone as far as how important it could be for you and your health, your life even.
But you know, what what do you what comes to mind when you hear these stories, George? It's this is remarkable. Um what comes to mind for me is a couple of years ago I was hiking up in San Bernardino and I, I know I tell this story a lot, but I I can't help but think that part of the reason why I fell and why I busted my ankle was because of a lack of oxygen at seven thousand foot elevation. So Yeah. Having having the uh having the O2 sensor on would probably have told me that I'm getting to a dangerously high level and I need to start heading back down it, just as like another, another uh, reminder for, you know, not just your altitude, but whatever oxygen you're absorbing. Yeah. That's my one criticism with the Apple watch is, you know, it, to, to run with your story and your situation, which I'm glad you're sharing that on this podcast because we, we haven't heard it before on this cast, but to run with that story, one of the things about Apple Watch is, except for just your heart rhythm, your your BPM, it doesn't track the other stuff ambiently, at least not that often. You have to be completely still for for it to take your blood oxygen. So if you're walking up, you know, up a mountain or a hill or whatever, it's not going to do that unless you manually trigger it. So would you know? Would you have had the forethought to trigger that? Those are some of the questions that need to be asked. ECG. You need to manually interact with the watch. You need to, you know, complete the circuit by laying your finger on the diode, the, the side of the, the watch, the digital crown. So do you think, George, that that was something that you would have would have had the forethought to do Hon while you were up Honestly, there? Honestly, probably because I have I had a GPS on me and I was tracking my location every 10 minutes. I would always send out a signal just so that people knew where we were. Um, so in in my scenario i might have had the wherewithal to continue to uh do the testing and monitoring it that's interesting because i always tell people when people ask me you know should i get the apple watch i i tell them the first thing i tell them is this product is what you put into it if you just slap it on your wrist and all you do is look at the time then that's it it's a watch that tells time and you can get much cheaper watches that do that if you invest in some of the fitness features really keeping track of your health and the metrics that are there. You can learn a lot about yourself and it may help you during an emergency. You know, you know, I can think of stories I've heard where people went on a run, you know, and didn't carry their phone with them, but because their watch had cellular, they could call 911 right from the watch. Um, you know, and these are people that had broken arms, broken legs, and were able to reach emergency services from their watch just using Siri. You don't even have to touch the watch. And and so this is this is one of those products where I just think it's it's indispensable for me. And you know, we can go into me and my story and my heart problems and how it's changed my life. I've already spoken a little bit about that on the podcast, but um just stories like this are just truly remarkable. And I you know, I'm I'm glad that we 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 have some of those feel good stories on here on this podcast for the folks listening at home. I, I, I I'm thoroughly convinced that Brahm is not going to end this episode until I pr like order an Apple watch. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. What color are you going with? Ah, uh, Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I have to look, I haven't seen them in a while. I don't know if they changed the names of some of the colors. You, you, you were not interested in the Apple watch until they added the new face with the, the numerals. What was it? Yeah. 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 The Arab. You texted me that day. Yeah. So, um, uh... For those of you who can't tell by my name, actually, most people can't tell by the first name, but they could definitely tell by the last name. Uh, I'm Middle Eastern, and when I saw the 
when I saw that they had the Eastern Arabic numerals, I was like, oh, finally, I can you I can have a unique watch. I don't have to have stupid Roman numerals or the uh, the Western Arabic numerals that everyone else uses. I remember when when that came out with Watch OS six, you texted me and you're like, this makes the Apple Watch worth it. It's finally on my radar. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the health features. It wasn't the communication. It wasn't the fact that you could like intercom people like James Bond. It was the fact that it had an ancient uh, writing style on it. Well, George, our next story for today comes from Reuters. They're telling us iPhone 12 mini accounted for just 5% of overall sales in the United States during the first half of January. And that's for all new phones. This comes from the industry data provider CounterPoint. And they released this information on Tuesday. What are your thoughts on the iPhone 12 mini, George? Is it too small? I think it suffers from, I, I think it suffers from shiny object syndrome. Uh, I don't know if that's what it's actually called, but I'm going to explain it in a second. So Grey Goose Vodka, it, fr from what I have heard and from what uh, economics majors have told me, is actually not a very good vodka. But they jacked up the price three times, and all of a sudden it became a instant hit, instant sensation. Everyone wanted it because apparently to get it was a luxury. Um, $700 for an iPhone to buy it outright is not a lot. And let's face it, not everyone wants – I mean when you pull out a phone, you don't want to – you. When you want to show off, especially, well, maybe not now because you're in a pandemic and we are in a pandemic and we can't really go places. Um, but even for themselves, when they pull it out, they don't want to have this tiny little phone. Like for me, I have the iPhone 8 and I think the iPhone 12 is smaller than that. Let me look at the exact screen size. I, I... Yeah, yeah, the iPhone 12 mini is only 5.4 inches. So it's exactly. 0.1 inches smaller than, exactly. than your iPhone 8 plus. You know, so let's zero in on this a little bit because th this is interesting because the way I see it is we had all these surveys, you know, for the past five or six years after Apple discontinued their, their whole small phone thing back in 2014, they abandoned the iPhone 5 chassis, the the five inch screen factor, and they moved on to the iPhone 6, the 4.7 inch and the 5.5 uh, inch form factor. And, you know, when they did that, it was, it's kind of birthed this new trend toward larger smartphones. And it's one of those things where there were all these surveys that indicated that so many people, such a large portion of the market, wanted a smaller phone again. They wanted something that was portable, pocketable, something that wasn't, that didn't feel unwieldy. And now that Apple's finally gone on and made it, these these numbers aren't showing through. They don't, you know, only accounting for five percent of sales. That's nothing. In fact, there's rumors here uh, from William Yang of J.P. Morgan, and he's speculating that Apple could stop entirely, entirely stop the production for iPhone 12 Mini during quarter two. So he says this means that Apple wouldn't stop selling it, but rather that they would stop producing it and just sell the units that they have on hand. He says, "quote The products mix adjustments." are well expected by investors and should not be a negative surprise. He says, this is in line with what we're seeing in the broader global market, where screens under six inches now account for around 10% share of all smartphones sold. So to put this into perspective, anything that's 
below 10R or iPhone 11 size is considered small now. Like that's how the market's looking at it. And so coming from, you know, an iPhone 8 Plus at that 5.5 inch screen factor, what is what is your opinion on this, George? Do you think smartphones are getting too large? Uh, at this point, we might as well have iPad minis in our pockets. Um, that's no, the thing. No, I think that we're just doing more with them. Because, like I said, when I went from my 13-inch to my 27-inch iMac, the amount of screen real estate was so helpful because I'm able to do – I'm able to – I don't feel cramped when I'm working with it. I don't feel like I'm hindered by the screen. I don't feel like – I don't feel like I have to – worry necessarily if i'm going to be able to see all the detail in my images a lot of i know a lot of personal friends of mine who make really amazing content just on their phone i know a lot of people who edit just off of their phone i know a lot of people who record podcasts just off of their phone hint hint wink yeah. wink um <laughs> but with with the amount of stuff you can do with your with just the phone, it would make sense that the smaller screens are going to kind of go on the wayside. It would make sense that the like I don't want to say lower end because m most of Apple stuff is geared toward higher end uh, the higher end markets, but it would make sense that the lower end essentially of Apple's uh, product lines are true small. Uh, they. Uh, the lower end of Apple's uh, product lines, they are going to be pushed back a little bit because like the iPhone is marketed as a content consumption and creation device. That is, that is what it is to me and that is what it is to a lot of people, content consumption or creation. So, yeah. so to consume media, you have a large screen to enjoy it. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember the iPod Nano. Was it no? Was it, yeah the i yeah the iPod Nano? How it was like the precursor to the Apple Watch, basically. How it had like a I think it was like a one inch screen. Yeah, they even sold watch bands for it. Yeah, yeah, they they sold watch bands for it and everything. And they also touted that on the iPad. Uh, is it the iPad? I think it's the iPad Nano. Uh, the iPod Nano. Uh, they had a uh, sixteen by nine variant. It was like one inch by one and a half or something. I don't know, something crazy like that. But they yeah. touted that you could watch full HD movies on it. And I'm looking at it like it's barely larger than my thumb. Why am I going to watch a movie on this thing? Meanwhile, on my iPhone 6S Plus, the precursor to my uh, iPhone 8 Plus, I would regularly, on the bus going to university, I would regularly like watch movies with my headphones and be totally fine with it because that for me is the most comfortable. Um, I remember back in the iPhone four days, I had an iPhone 4s, uh, arguably in my opinion, one of the best phones they made, uh, that and the success plus, but we'll get into that later. Uh, and <laughs> they, it, it was good, but it wasn't big enough. So like the sweet spot, at least in my opinion for content creation and consumption is in that, you know, five to seven inch range, like mm -hmm. five inches on five inches on the small end, seven inches on the, the high end, which is exactly what Apple is going into right now. The perfect, in my opinion, range for a phone, so that way it's not unwieldy and that way you can actually get some work done on it, is in that five inches on the low end to seven inches on the high end so for me the iphone 8 plus is kind of on the on the smaller side of that whereas the iphone 12 
what is it the 12 pro max i can't i i can never keep up with their naming conventions but uh but that like that is in my opinion the perfect range for a phone that doesn't fold and that way you can have all this you can have enough information and it can still fit in your pocket or like a uh, a shoulder bag or something uh will we see smaller phones die off i personally think i personally think that we will absolutely see them die off just because it, it, it again content consumption and content creation you can't really consume anything other than music on the iphone uh, on an iphone 12 mini when it's small and you can't really make a movie on it if because you can't really utilize the screen. Yes, it has the same horsepower. Yes, it has the same, I don't know how the battery life is, but again, it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of screen real estate, you know? Well, that, that's the thing is, you know, I know some people that, that have started a business with their iPhone and that's, you know, that's their whole, that's their daily driver, you know? And so this trend towards larger screen screens are, so, and so this trend towards larger screens really shows that as iPhones become more capable, they're really becoming this this blockbuster post PC device like Apple intended, and that that kind of leans more towards the iPad. But you can definitely do some pretty groundbreaking, pretty surprising things on an iPhone. Uh, I, I I love how you mentioned that this this allows Apple to price a phone, an entry level phone. At 699, and this is really important because when the iPhone 10R came out, everybody lost their mind that it was a 6.1 inch phone. It had an LCD display, and it started at 749. People are like, "That's a ripoff! Like, come on, we need we need a better display. This is crazy." Whereas OLED, so iPhone 12 line, Apple finally brings OLED to the entire iPhone line, and that's expensive. So so how does Apple mitigate this? Well, they just simply make a smaller phone that the industry says it wants, but they they don't know that they really don't want it. Apple makes a smaller phone and charges six ninety nine at the entry level for it. iPhone twelve is seven forty nine again because OLED. Now, do you think that that's do you think that's the strategy here? Do you think it's to help mitigate the cost of moving to OLED, five G, some of those things? I wouldn't put it past them. Um, Apple, like any company, is a business, and they have to make money. They have to get their prop, uh, their quarterly statements up. They have to, you know, they have to pay their shareholders dividends. And in order to, in order to satisfy that, they definitely need to maintain. They definitely need to maintain uh, uh, price and profit margins on their products. So the iPhone 12 Mini, like. <sighs> Again, it's kind of reminding me of it's kind of reminding me of uh, Henry Ford, where it, he said, "If I asked people what they want, they would have told me they wanted a faster horse instead of the car." So, exactly. So it's a very, I, I don't know about this one, dude. Honestly, I, I really don't know how the iPhone 12 Mini is going to turn out. I mean, are people going to be giving iPhones to their? uh 12 year old children are they going to be giving it to their 14 year old children like their uh the 12 mini or are they going to splurge and say i'm going to get you the 12 pro max or something and that's going to last you all through high school and potentially your first two years of college i don't know that's the thing and i and i love that you brought up the henry ford quote because steve jobs actually has a similar one he says you know people don't know what they want until they see it for the first time 
Exactly. So that's kind of the same the same philosophy there. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the iPhone 12 mini. According to a survey on 9to5Mac, over 66% of people anticipate that iPhone 12 mini and its form factor will live to see another year. Well, then I could be wrong. Then I could be wrong. And I've been wrong many times before, and this won't be the first. And this will not be the last. But will those 66% of people actually buy it, George? That's the Uh, question. You know... Apple has killed off more important products in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if they killed this one off or if no one buys it, you know? Well, George, we have to move on to our old friend, Intel. And this week, Intel is picking and choosing its battles against Apple. Um, They created this interesting PowerPoint and randomly published it to their website, basically attacking Apple's M1 chip, saying, you know, it's really not as good as Apple's telling you it is. And they're kind of picking and choosing these like awkward benchmarks. Uh, for example, they're they're testing how long it takes to open Microsoft Office 365, and those are things that haven't been optimized for M1 yet. So, would you say that's a fair comparison? I don't know. That's up to your own judgment. Um, all this it's part of a transition. So all these all these programs have to be optimized. Uh, one of the things that they compare here, they say their 11th gen chips. Uh, perform faster on this obscure thing. It says a PDF export is up to 2.3 times faster on their 11th gen system compared to Apple M1. You know, have, have you taken a look at some of these benchmarks? There's there's a whole bunch of them, and they're just random, like obscure. What, what are what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm looking at these benchmarks, and I'm like, okay, cool. Intel, you want a cookie for that? Like, you've had so long, and I said this last time I was on the podcast. Um, they had from 2005 to 2019, let's say 2018, because it takes about two years to get into this processor architecture development. They had, yeah, yeah, they had about, they had a 13, let's give them 14 year run being Apple's exclusive supplier of, uh, Macintosh processors. They, why are they now suddenly making this kind of these kinds of claims. Why are they now trying to push the narrative that, hey, we are actually doing pretty good? In my opinion, they're just desperate and they're holding on to whatever they can. Uh, M- yeah, it shows that they're shaking in their boots a little bit, huh? Exactly. And you know, Pat Gelsinger saying that, oh, we need to be better than a lifestyle brand. Yeah, that can be seen as a jab. But you know what? This lifestyle brand is actually getting work done. The Mac Mini is faster than the Intel NUC. So don't even go there with me, Intel. If you can supply a, if you can supply processors that are, and I'm just gonna rant a little bit because this is my personal take on it. Um, if you can supply processors that are faster than the f- stupid 14 nanometer process, if you can do something that is truly exceptional, if you can remove some of the system limitations on RAM speed, if you can do some of these actual incredible things that Intel. Not Intel, excuse me, uh, that AMD, that uh, TSMC, and the AMD, not AMD, uh, the ARM processors that Apple is running, maybe you'll have a chance and maybe you can get back with your uh, estranged ex-girlfriend. But at this point, (laughs) at this point, you're just standing outside, you're just standing outside of the window with the boombox and you forgot what their favorite playlist is. Throwing pebbles at the window. <laughs> yeah, basically, and at w- and as soon as they do show up at the window, you'd start to moon them. That's basically what this is. <laughs> it's funny because 
what we're seeing here, and, and I know we're getting real technical, but I want to paint a picture for our viewers so they can understand what we're seeing here is truly this this newfound dichotomy between what does it mean to be a Mac and what does it mean to be a, be a PC. It's it's really it's completely opposite ends of the spectrum now because if you and if you're a smart a student of the smartphone sphere right now you'll understand this. Snapdragon is to Android as is Apple Silicon is to iPhone. It's one of those things where you know these Intel chips are only going to be associated with PCs and Apple Silicon is only going to be associated with Apple products, Macintosh. So it, it's really one of those things where they're limited by the performance of the Silicon that they've largely created this permanent partnership with. <laughs> I have a perfect analogy. I have a perfect analogy for the kind of benchmarks that Intel is throwing up there. Are you ready to hear it? Yeah. So Apple is touting if 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 Apple and Intel were car companies, Apple is touting that you can go from 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds. Meanwhile, Intel is claiming that you can fill up the tires 2 seconds faster. <laughs> that really is. It's it's like quite funny when we say this. It's apples to oranges. <laughs> Uh, that, that joke has been so overplayed. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my shameless puns, George. You got to live with them. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. The, the, now I, I'm scrolling through the article here. We're reading about some of these benchmarks. This is, this is crazy, George. They're claiming that eight out of 25 times switch to calendar in Outlook and the start a video conference button in Zoom failed eight out of 25 times. This this is just completely outlandish, completely just false in my practice. You know, we're in a pandemic. I'm still sheltering in place. I'm in Zoom meetings all day, every day. I'm launching Zoom meetings, not not to mention five times faster on my M1 than I did on my Intel MacBook Pro, but they've never crashed. I've never had any issues. I use Outlook all the time for my clients. I don't use Outlook. It's a nasty user interface, but it really is. <laughs> I mean, th these are just where are these these benchmarks coming from? They're claiming that these apps are just full on crashing, and in my experience, that that hasn't been the case. This definitely looks like an issue with p hacking, and I know this is getting extremely technical, so I'm only going to keep it short. Yeah, so I explain that in layman's terms. What is that? P hacking that mean? is when you hack a certain variable in statistics. Um, what you can do is if you have a small enough sample size, you can basically extrapolate yeah. any kind of data out of that. Um, I think I think my favorite I think my favorite example of p hacking is the correlation between 5G wireless and coronavirus. Bear with me because you're gonna love this. No, you're gonna oh, no God. no you're gonna love this. You're gonna love this. So someone uh, a bunch of people back when the pandemic started were freaking out and they said. Oh my goodness, 5G wireless uh, services were causing uh, coronavirus outbreaks. But then if you look at the correlation and if you look at the amount of sample sizes, they were looking at only the large cities. Uh, they were looking at San Francisco. They were looking at Los Angeles, New York, where you have large populations where obviously the technology is going to be rolled out faster. So some guy on Reddit, and I cannot get over this, and I think John Oliver had a joke about this, oh that he found a stronger statistical correlation between Domino's pizza locations and coronavirus outbreaks just on p-hacking results alone. <laughs> so does Domino's pizza cause coronavirus? I don't know. 
I mean, this the the numbers are there. <laughs> so so it's like what you're saying. If you find a small enough sample size, you can run numbers that look legitimate on paper. But really, what you're doing is you're just picking and choosing minutia. You're grasp you're grasping exactly, at straws. Exactly. Exactly. Just so everyone yeah. everyone knows, I do not think that five G causes coronavirus. That was just an illustrative uh, example. <laughs> Not that kind of podcast, George. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, our next story here for today, Apple on Tuesday released macOS Big Sur 11.2.1, and it's pretty boring. It, uh, it it solves this charging issue that people were having where their MacBook Pros from 2016-2017 weren't charging. And on top of that, Apple also announced a repair program. So if you have a 2016-2017 edition of a MacBook Pro, and it's having trouble charging, specifically past 1%, they will replace your battery for free. So unfortunately, fortunately, that doesn't extend to 2012 MacBooks, George. So sorry. Ah, darn it. You know, when when your when your laptop is when your laptop is almost old enough to get into like the third or fourth grade, I, I would almost I would almost expect that. Um, can I can I comment on your can I comment on your statement saying that this is kind of a boring update? Oh, sure. Yeah. We need to appreciate the boring updates because there's a lot of there's a lot of technical stuff that goes on in the back end. And just so you know, on my perspective, sure. a lot of stuff that like security features, there are stability. That is something that people take for granted, especially on the Mac side, because Mac, because the Unix operating system is so robust. But yes. like stability enhancements are huge on on my own end. Uh, yes. Big Sur has not been the most stable. I've just upgraded not too long ago, and it hasn't been the most stable when it comes to running my workflow. So any type of stability enhancement, any type of anything that makes the computer more stable, and I've said stable so many times it's starting to lose its meaning for me, um, <laughs> that I is welcome with open arms. Well, no, I, I completely agree with you. And, and when we kind of talked about this in last week's episode, we actually had Guilherme Rambo from 9to5Mac on, and we were talking about some of these security and stability enhancements and how important some of this stuff is. It's all under the hood. You don't notice it every time, but it, it's contributing to this this ease of use, this robust security, privacy guards, these things that we expect when we use a Mac, uh, an Apple product of any sort. And so definitely that's totally important uh, but from the perspective of uh, a podcaster just delivering the news, it's definitely uh, boring in a sense for the, the, the end user to say, I updated and nothing happened because people are always grasping for new features. That's a miracle, by the way. I updated and nothing happened. That is a technological <laughs> miracle. <laughs> and that's the thing. It could feel that way sometimes, especially when we're just reporting on the news, because Apple does a lot of things under the hood that they may not report on for several months. It'll be like, OK, there's these vulnerabilities that we found. We patched them up so we can protect you. But we're not going to talk about it yet because we don't want certain things to be exploited or talked about, researched. And, and so it's we, we and we talked about this last week, how important it is to stay up to date. Uh, just just for stability, not only stability's sake, but for privacy and security reasons. It's it's and it's we take for granted as Apple users how often we receive these updates. In Android and PC, it, it's not the same. Um, 
in fact, we saw a story from Google this week where, if you may not be, you may not be familiar, Google has resisted updating its apps on the iOS platform because Apple has instituted this new rule where in 2021, when you push out an update, you have to include these privacy nutrition labels. You have to disclose what information you're collecting. Google's presumably afraid to do this, and so they haven't upgraded their apps for two months. Well, there's this WebKit screen that's included in these Google apps where immediately, automatically, after two months, it'll, it'll come up with this pop-up saying, hey, you're running a really outdated version of our software, and there may be some security vulnerabilities present, but by pressing this button, you're saying, I'm okay with that, I don't want to update, and I just, I want to use the application, do whatever I want to do. And so you're, you're seeing Google kind of digging its own hole just for this, just because of this reluctancy to update. And some of these things are surfacing on iOS, but they wouldn't otherwise surface on something like a Pixel phone. And, and so it's, that's definitely, I'm glad you brought that up, George. That's a good talking point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, security and stability are basically what Apple, at least in my opinion, when I think of, when I think of, uh, operating systems and when I think of just using a, using a computer on the daily, yes, there are exploits for everything. You can make a, you can make a rat, a remote access tool and hack into someone's computer and wreck up their whole life. But yeah. for the average user who doesn't want to deal with Linux, who doesn't want to deal with like firewall that you use on a bank, I, I just, the amount of security and the amount of privacy, that's a big one, especially with Apple. The amount of privacy they give their users is unparalleled in the industry, which says a lot for a multi-trillion dollar company. And, and we, we see that rhetoric in, touted by Apple a lot. You know, they like to, they, when they unveil these privacy features, they like to say, you know, here's what we did. We're protecting our users and you can do, you can do it too. You too can offer all, offer all these privacy features and protect your users. They're saying, hey, Google, hey, Samsung, you too can institute all this stuff and, and still be successful. And so they're really opening the floor to this new this new era, this this great awakening of, you know, hey, we, we need to, to have control of our data and how much we're, we're giving and taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. This episode of Appleosophy Weekly is sponsored by Podcorn. With Podcorn, podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose from real sponsorship opportunities right on the platform. That means they set their own rates and collaborate with brands directly. No exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there every step of the way to ensure that your brand stays protected and that you're compensated for the work that you do. The mission of the Podcorn Marketplace is to provide podcasters with transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when they want to monetize their content. Appleosophy Weekly uses Podcorn to quickly and professionally connect with sponsors who recognize the nature of our content. We at Appleosophy have had an excellent experience using Podcorn because it connects us with sponsored content that we know our viewers will actually enjoy. Whether you're new to the podcast scene or you're a seasoned influencer, Podcorn is a one-stop shop solution for getting in touch with relevant and engaging sponsors. We'd like to sincerely thank Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. Click the link in the show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today.
Next up, Apple is increasing the Apple Silicon DTK return kit from $200 to $500. So this is the this is the the return amount that you receive. Now let, let's unwrap this a bit because this gets this gets nasty, a little complicated. Uh oh. So back back around WWDC 2020, June, July, that that time. Developers were able to sign up for an Apple Silicon DTK, and that's a developer transition kit. And basically, you're you're buying into, you're paying for Apple to loan you this hardware, and it's pre-production hardware, and you, you use it for a few months, and then you're supposed to return it. And this this helped developers get their apps ready for Apple Silicon. The first Apple Silicon Macs were released to the public later that year uh, with the M1. So these developers bought into this. It was it cost five hundred dollars. They were given a Mac Mini that basically had an, an iPad chip in it. It was an A12Z with just with a bunch of added memory and all the works. And Apple emailed them last week and said, "Hey, it's time to return it, and we're going to give you two hundred dollar credit towards the purchase of an M1 Mac as a token of our appreciation." And developers lost it. They said, "Hey." This isn't fair. You know, what what, do you, what is Apple doing? They're so ungrateful. You know, we're the heart and soul of what makes the App Store what it is. And, you know, this is just one more way that Apple is rerouting us. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, lot, of, uh, lot of anger amongst the developer community. Um, one person who was not part of that, uh, Mr. Gil Henry Rambo, he was talking about it last week on our podcast. You know, he, he makes some pretty popular apps, including Chibi Studio, Everybody for the Mac, and he said, you know, I don't agree with 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 this some of this feedback. He goes, if I was a developer that had in fact tested this, I would look at this and say, hey, this is fair. You know, I'm paying for the opportunity to to optimize my apps for this new architecture. And he he didn't see an issue with it, but a lot of developers did, and they took to Twitter. And Apple reached out this week and said, quote, we've heard your feedback and we've increased the credit accordingly. So they're actually refunding you in full, basically. But all it is is Apple credit. You're not getting, you know, credit, cash, refund. It's it's just an Apple gift card for $500 that you can use toward a new M1 Mac. So they're like, we're going to give you your money back, but you still have to buy our computer again. So what would be, would you feel cheated, George? I think I, and I'm, hang on a second. I'm trying to collect my thoughts here, but. I think at the end of the day, if you want to have access, and I know I'm going to sound like an Apple shill for saying this, which is completely the opposite route that I usually take, because um, <laughs> if, if if you know if you know me from the from the my previous time on this podcast, I am a very uh, platform agnostic person. I do love the Mac, but I also have a project uh, Linux PC that I work off of that just will not die. Um, I will not allow <laughs> it to die. So there's that. Um, but I think in this case, let's take a look at what the benefit of being on the App Store or developing applications for the Mac are. You have access to the, and I'm just going to speak in broad strokes here, you have access to a dedicated user base right from the get. That's number one. Mm -hmm. You have access to Apple security features. That's number two. You have, and I know this is going to sound weird, but you have the prestige of working with an Apple platform. And I, I know that sounds kind of ridiculous to the PC uh, PC master race out there, <laughs> but it's a real thing. There is yeah. a prestige about being on the on uh, Macintosh. So 
by having to have access to the developer kit quickly to get your application out there yes there is definitely an argument there is definitely definitely an argument to be made that apple taking 30 percent of the cost of an application is a little high there is definitely an argument to be made that the iphone will uh, is not what it would be without the developers that have made these amazing apps there's definitely an argument to be made that a lot of the enhancements we see in ios were inspired by third-party developers that have been baked natively into ios and mac os over the years but with all those things considered i mean rom how much was the how much was the uh sdk and not the sdk uh the um the dtk yeah how much was it to purchase the developer transition kit yeah it was 500 That's... bucks half the bucks. price no excuse me that is uh 0.6 something the price of an iphone 12 mini like guys 500 bucks <laughs> i know people who spend that much on starbucks in a month calm down yeah it, you know it, it's one of those things where you, you know we saw the outrage and my first thought was this is this is not characteristic of Apple to to give in to things like this. You know, I could never, never in a million years, uh, in, under the reign of Steve Jobs, see Apple saying, "Okay, we messed up. It's fine. Here's all your money back." You know, that would never happen. And it's it's one of those things where Apple keeps making these accommodations, and and when when has it gone too far? When well, I'm actually. I'm actually glad that they're doing it though, because we yeah. kind of we kind of we kind of glossed over it with the previous story about the repairing of the uh, of the laptop batteries. But Apple has shown recently a willingness to change. And oh my goodness, I sound like Linus from Linus Tech Tips right now. <laughs> but uh, Apple has shown a willingness to change that is very uncharacteristic of former Apple, but is definitely more consumer focused. And like, I love that. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's great that they're pivoting in a different direction as far as, you know, reorienting themselves in the direction of really catering to the pros and things like that. I think that's healthy, but does this set a precedent where, you know, when Apple does something, all we'd have to do is, you know, whine and complain about it long enough until they change it. I mean that's like with any company like if you want to if you want something to happen and you get enough people to stop purchasing their product or enough people to complain about it they're going to react to it that's just the nature of uh, the free market. Yeah. So where does this end though? That's the concern. You know there's there's even rumors that you know that the touch bar on the MacBook Pro which a lot of people are indifferent to, they don't like it or hate it. Um, they're saying that that may be removed with these next generation MacBook Pros that we'll see later this year. That may be removed and they'll add the the function keys back i see no problem with that i think the i think at that point is the touch uh, the touch bar is expensive to make and if it's not a feature people care about then why keep implementing it into the computer if let's say let's say there's two scenarios here let's say the uh how much is a 16 inch macbook pro starting it's like 2100 bucks american uh, i believe so yeah Okay, let's just say let's say two thousand for easy math. Um, let's say in material cost that is about two hundred dollars in parts to get the OLED screen and everything working. Okay, Apple could nix that and profit the two hundred dollars, or mm -hmm. they could drop the price by a hundred bucks and still gain uh, a higher profit margin. 
it, if if it's a feature that no one cares about or very few people care about, and I know I'm I I am one of those people who care about a lot of obscure features, so it this is definitely going to hurt me by myself by me saying this. Um, if it's a feature that a very few amount of people or a very obscure amount of people care about, it makes fiscal sense to remove the features. This isn't like complaining. This is just the free market working. So with something like the touch bar, it's, and I've spoken about this a lot. It's one of those things where it's helpful once in a blue moon, but if they removed it, I don't think I would miss it. And it's one of those things where it's not, it's not that much different. It hasn't improved that much since they introduced it back in 2016. So you know, it's not, it hasn't become something that's, that's this indispensable tool. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that uh, works out with the newer MacBook Pros with the M1 Silicon. For sure. Moving on, we have our next story. You can now set Spotify as your default music app within the iOS 14.5 beta. So we're on the beta cycle, iOS 14.5 beta 1. And people have discovered that you can specify all these third-party music services uh, as your default when using Siri. So if you say, you know, bleep Siri, I'm not going to say it. Hello, Siri, play this. It's going to ask you, it's going to prompt you the first time you do that and say, hey, do you want to use Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts? Maybe it's an audiobook. Maybe you want to open Apple Books. Or do you want to keep things default at Apple Music? And this... This is amid all these antitrust concerns. You know, they have the ongoing fight with Epic. Um, Apple's really making some changes here. We saw with the release of iOS 14, there's actually an option when you boot up the phone for the first time to select a third-party email client. So if you buy a new iPhone, you boot it up with iOS 14, it's going to ask you, do you want to use Apple Mail or hop right into something like Gmail? and download it off the app store. And so Apple's really making moves to try to try to mitigate these antitrust concerns that are being echoed all over in the media. Do, do you think this is heading in the right direction? I absolutely love this. Um, I used to be a Spotify junkie back in 2016 to 2018. And when I started using Siri more, it got to be annoying because it's like, well, great. I can't exactly use I can't exactly use uh, Siri with uh, Spotify, so I switched over from Spotify to Apple Music. And I know Apple Music and its predecessor iTunes basically redefined the music industry. But look, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the experience on Spotify is just so much better. And I know I don't know if I'm ever going to be allowed on this podcast ever again by saying that. But it's the truth. It's the truth in my book. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, it's a thing. You know, we call it philosophy, but, you know, we have to stick to the facts. You know, we we actually spoke last week about these antitrust hearings. And, you know, Tim Cook went on the stand and said, you know, our apps have to adhere to the same standards that we make our third-party apps adhere to. And we zeroed in on this, and we determined it's false. You know, there's 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 definitely exceptions that are made for Apple's apps, and you know it starts it starts begging the question. You know, is Apple owed that because it's their platform anyway, or or has this gone too far? The, the 
the iPhone and the App Store in general ushered in this this industry shifting change. And I feel like Apple's still learning and they need to kind of mature a little bit. They're like in their teenage stage and they're maturing a little bit. They're trying to they're trying to understand how they're going to manage it. The, the, a lot of these guidelines haven't changed since the App Store was introduced back in 2009. So 2008, sorry. But I mean, it, it's one of those things where, and a lot of developers are impatient on this. You say they, they're saying this needs to be reformed. We, we need we need a bigger piece of the pie. And a lot of these, these guidelines need to be updated. We, we live in a modern world where everything is dependent on apps. Absolutely. Um, yeah, again, going back to, the, back to the bigger piece of the pie, going back to my, my statement about the, the developer transition kit, Apple does provide a lot of value by having that inbuilt market. And yet going back to some of the, yeah. some of the other points that I made, it wouldn't be what it is and the prestige of Apple wouldn't be what it is if it weren't for excuse me if it weren't for the developers because you have this I mean, there's only so much talent you can have in one company this is why i love open source projects so much there's only so much talent you can hire there's only so much you can manage there's only so much hr can manage so by having the app store by having the third party experience like you're able to get amazing experiences right from the get. I mean, I'm sure most of you've heard of the application Clubhouse. I believe they just recently opened up Android, but for almost a year it was iPhone exclusive. So, the fact that the fact that you already have yeah. that the fact that you already have that inbuilt audience because it, it's a chicken and egg scenario. It's a, it's really a chicken and egg scenario. You have Apple that makes a good product and then you have a developer that makes an amazing tool and then they just kind of feed off of each other. I personally think that Apple needs to like reduce their management. I don't want to say their management fee. I want to say their commission fee because right now I believe the standard is 30%. I think something like 20% would be a lot more reasonable and a lot easier to swallow for a lot of these developers. Um, but yeah, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not just the 30% that you're take that they're taking. It's also the marketing that these people have to do for the application. It's also the business fees. So at the end of the day, let's say you get an app for $10 and Apple's already taking three. Well, you only have $7. You only have $7 to market your app and develop it properly. And you still want to turn a profit. So maybe you're only going to be able to spend five, six dollars. And at the end of the day, you're making two to one dollars per sale. You know, if Apple. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. You know, and it's easy to get lost in the numbers. And that's yeah. kind of what we're doing here now. And the point is, you know, back in January, Apple cut its app store fee in half. It went from 30 to 15 percent for 90. I did not know that developers specifically, specifically that 98 percent, George, makes up the developers who earn less than one million dollars. I did not know that. Annually. So for all these people, Apple actually cut that fee down to 15%, lower than the 20% that, that you were envisioning. And so these are some of the changes that are being made. And, you know, Apple is is still under fire for this stuff, you know, the ongoing suit with Epic and stuff like this. One of the latest stories that came from this 
uh, it, it begins in North Dakota. There's a new bill introduced in the North Dakota Senate, and they're saying it could have these concerning consequences for the App Store. So this is a uh, Senate bill. It says it seeks to ban stores like Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store from mandating developers only use those app stores and their respective in-app payment systems. It also bans retaliation against developers in the event they choose an alternative distribution channel or payment system. So this bleeds right into the Epic versus Apple stuff. And this they're saying they're, they're going to require by law, if this gets passed, that you know Apple basically build a backdoor so that people can sideload apps on the app store, that they can download apps off up from Safari. You know, they would need to institute something like Gatekeeper for the Mac that vets these apps for security concerns. Uh, and we have a quote here from an Apple representative. He said, this bill would, quote, threaten to destroy iPhone as you know it. It would undermine the privacy, security, safety, and performance that's built into an iPhone by design, end quote. That's quite the statement there. Where do you see this ending? Because it seems like Apple's constantly under scrutiny for for not being open source, and yet the secret sauce of their business is that this closed source stuff is more secure. This 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 ecosystem is built in such a way that it is privacy centric, that it is security centric. Where do you see this ending, George? I think. I don't see it ending. I think what we have right here is people who don't understand the fundamentals of technology trying to pass laws about technology. It's getting to a point, and I've seen a lot of people say this. Uh, there's a very, if you've seen the HBO series Silicon Valley, and if you've seen this, if you've seen the section of the show where Richard Hendricks is. Uh, in a focus group with a bunch of people trying to show them how to use the application. It's very, very reminiscent of this to where the average person doesn't understand technology aside from what they use, and they don't understand the fundamentals even of that. So I don't necessarily know if this will ever end because you will always have people who don't understand the benefits and drawbacks of every decision. You don't have you these people don't understand what happens if like, oh, why is my iPhone asking for my password all the time? It's so annoying. Let me just turn it off. Well, then you just mitigated all of you just mitigated yeah. all of the security features that were built into it. Um, oh, why is it uh why is it that when I take a screenshot of my passwords and I want to send it, why does it blur out the password? Why do I have to send it manually? Well, that's also another security feature. So that just all these little things are there for protection. And this isn't Stockholm Syndrome. This is just the truth. This is the Apple is not a perfect company. There is no such thing as that. However, they have shown and even in the tech, even in the tech security sector, they have shown the most reliability, they have shown the most security, and they have shown the most robust um, offense when it comes to said security. So, And that's objective. Huh? And that's objective, that statement right there that you're making. It, these, are, these are facts. Yeah, no, these, yeah, these, are, these are facts and statements from very well-respected people in the industry. This isn't just me. These are objective facts. It's just that, and this part is my own opinion, it's just that you have people who don't understand. They think you have a lock and you have a physical key that if you break the key, then you can't get into the lock. But 
you can also get a pair of bolt clippers and cut through it. This is not the case. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, we've seen with the antitrust hearings that we saw last summer, we saw Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, these these figures really run circles around these people in Congress because we need experts in the courtroom. You know, the, the these people in the courtroom don't have a, a, a full understanding of a lot of how this architecture works. They're asking, you know, these mundane questions. And so they can never really get to the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of what they're trying to they're, they're trying to catch these companies on. I think my I think my favorite one is I believe with Mark Zuckerberg it said um, I can't remember who was asking him but it was like does WhatsApp talk to Messenger on Facebook and he says no uh, and he says well why not because well, I think that it, I think that they do well unless you give them permission to talk to each other so they can well technically if you give them permission so it's like like yeah yeah exactly that's the thing you can exactly. play semantics all day. It, it, it's really it's challenging and there needs to be something that changes in that courtroom there need they need to have experts that vet some of these things that these ceos are saying because it, you you really can play semantics and I run circles one... around these people yeah. mm -hmm. Go, keep going and and it and it's not because it's not because they're stupid it's not because they're uneducated it's it, it exactly just, this isn't their industry exactly i have two statements you know? to make and this is uh really really quick and then we can move on to the next story um uh, but this is about the apple in-app purchases i per, if i'm thinking of something like this i'm thinking of someone like adobe adobe is the company that makes photoshop and after effects and premiere a lot of creatives use them i can never see them giving apple a chunk of their income so just by that alone i don't think apple is uh, I don't think Apple is going to make a monopoly on the payment system. And my second point, if I'm not blinking out here, um, no, that's my only point. My The other thought just vanished into Mobile Me's iCloud uh, takeover. <laughs> mobile Me. <laughs> Why should I trust these guys? These are the guys that gave me Mobile Me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Very fitting for some of the stories that we're discussing today. But George, I think you're going to love this one because it's time for This Week in Apple Crime. So for this week's story, we're zeroing in on husband and wife, Kat and Jeff West. And this takes a very different turn compared to our first story of a husband and wife. This man, Jeff West, claimed to be innocent following the death of his wife, he was found to be guilty after police used evidence sourced from the Apple Health app on his iPhone to convict him. This gets a little crazy. So, Birmingham, Alabama. This is where this all goes down. Jeff West's wife, she's found dead in January 2018. She suffered a, 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 an unimaginable blow to the head. Very, very scary. Jeff West claimed that she was drunk and fell while he was asleep in bed. But the health app on his phone said otherwise. Here's where it gets kind of scary. So Wes tells investigators that he fell asleep around 10.30 p.m. And he stays in bed till about 5.15 a.m. They say, hand us your phone. He says, sure, take a look, not thinking. Apple Health app says he took a total of 18 steps between 11.03 p.m. and 11.10 p.m. that night, the night that his wife died. 
So this contradicted his claims. Data from CatWest's iPhone showed that she stopped moving after 10.54, corresponding to the time when Jeff West claimed to be in bed. This comes after West's fingerprints were also found at the bottom of the bottle that was used to hit his wife in the head. Now, this, this, is, this is crazy because, and I say this a lot, even if you're thinking about committing a crime, don't do it because there's cameras and there's data everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's data everywhere. What are your thoughts on this story, George? I mean, you know, kind of a gruesome turn, but it just shows how this technology is being used in in, in ways, interesting ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think I think the only thing that could have that he could have gotten away with this, you know, if it weren't for his phone. It's not even his phone at this point because he volunteered the information. And that says a lot when it comes to your own privacy. I'm, I'm reading this and I'm saying, yeah, I'm glad they got the bum. But I'm also thinking of it as a security measure. Wait a second. This is what they were able to do with 18 steps on his phone or his watch. Um, what could they have done if, let's say, the camera was on accidentally? What would have happened if he left his microphone on for a second like they they would have they would have had him in they would have had him in the slammer months ago so yeah for me when i look at something like this obviously i'm glad justice prevailed this time but there are other implications of said justice like um hang on i just blanked out for a second there are other implications of said justice where it's like are we going to have a data are we going to have a data purge sometime in the future it, let's say let's say some high-end executive has com committed horrible crime well yeah. they could they could potentially have another um watergate where they just wipe they try to wipe all the tapes or wipe all the phone and, and, that, and that's the thing with all these privacy filters built in it, it's 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 your right to turn over this data whether you feel like it or not which i'm glad he did which we're glad he did because they, they found out he didn't. You know, he's convicted. But like you said, what, what are the implications of this? There, there's tons of different sensors on these phones. He wasn't even wearing an Apple Watch. This is just the phone saying that he took these steps. He had his phone in his pocket while he did all this, which, I mean, unimaginable. So scary. But it just kind of shows that, that something as simple as having an iPhone in your pocket it can help justice prevail, like you said. It's a very, very interesting story. Not as funny as some of the ones that we've had before, like teenagers stealing iPhones, but I, I thought it was very interesting. Or, or what is it, uh, um, Anthony's, Anthony's uh, like poorly made clone breaking into a police office to borrow an iPad. <laughs> to borrow. That's the key word, borrow an iPad. <laughs> yes, to borrow an iPad. Well, George, I'd, I'd like to thank you for having you on this week. I think it's been a wonderful episode. You always bring some great points to the table. It's always a blast. I'm happy to, I'm happy to have been invited back. I'm, I'm uh, honored that you guys liked me the first time, and hopefully I'll be back for a third. <laughs> the people love you, George. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Appleosophy Weekly. It's been a blast. Go ahead and give this episode a rating if you feel so inclined. If you didn't like this episode, tell your friends about it. They might like it. They may feel inclined to leave us a five-star review. 
George, where can the people find you? Sure, they can check me out on Instagram. My handle is GWPhotographE. Uh, my Instagram is horribly, horribly, horribly under uh, under kept right now, but that's going to change in the next month. They can find me at my website, figtreecinemas.com, F-I-G-T-R-E-E cinemas.com, and that's where they can take a look at my work, and those are the two major places that they can see what I do and who I am. Cool. Thanks for sharing, George. And you can find me on Twitter at Bromshank. It's very simple, just my name. That's B-R-A-H-M Shank, S-H-A-N-K. Bromshank, all one word. You can find me on Twitter, and I'll be talking more about the points we discussed in this episode on Twitter. So thank you guys for joining. Thank you for unwrapping the tech of today with us. We'll see you guys next time.